Good morning, church. There we go. Hey, hope you all had a good Thanksgiving, and now we, we just immediately start getting ushered into the Advent and Christmas season. Uh, but what a, what a wonderful season it is as we do celebrate our, our great joy and expectation of Christ's arrival. And so this morning, we're going to do two things. We're actually going to put the exclamation point on our series that we've been doing through the Ten Commandments. And, and this is also going to be a good sermon that's going to transition us into the Advent season as we, as we think about and uh, worship uh, the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we are finishing up the Ten Commandments series. I want to I point to you a couple of resources first before we get started. Two of these are in your sermon notes. One, one is not, so one's a bonus. Uh, one is uh, Loving the Old Testament by Alec Mateer. I want to encourage you towards this one. This is a nice little one. It's even called a Christian's pocket guide to loving the Old Testament. So it's a pocket guide. It's short. But I want to encourage you towards that one. The next one is also a good but short one. It's called Biblical Theology. It's by Nick Rourke. I want to encourage you towards that. This is how the church faithfully teaches the gospel. So I want to encourage you towards that one. And then last, the bonus one is uh, certainly geared towards children, but if, uh, uh, if you're like Lauren and I, uh, we certainly have benefited uh, from reading this to our children often. This is the Jesus Book Story Bible. This is Every Story Whispers His Name, and so I want to encourage you towards this as, as well. Um, these resources will become apparent why, we're, uh, why I'm suggesting these specific ones as we get into our sermon. But we, we have one more sermon. We originally preached on the 10th commandment last Sunday, and we have one more sermon in our series this Sunday, and no, it is not a new 11th commandment. <laughs> We're preaching one more because as new covenant people in Christ Jesus, we must see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments and all that the Old Testament was pointing to. When we see this, this changes everything. This changes how we live this changes how we read and understand and apply our Bibles. This is huge. Biblical scholar Alec Mateer said, this is from uh, his book that I uh, recommended to you. He says, the Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The Gospels are Jesus arrived. The Acts of the Apostles is Jesus preached. The Epistles are Jesus explained. And the Revelation is Jesus coming again. You, you see, this side of the cross, we, we understand that Everything in the Bible is about Jesus and his gospel. So this morning, we want to celebrate Jesus. We want to celebrate Jesus as we, as we come to see that he is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament and, and also most certainly then the Ten Commandments, all that they pointed to. Our key text this morning is Matthew 5, 17 through 18. We're going to have it on the screen here. I'm going to read it. You guys can follow along. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So here's our plan. Just give you a little sketch for the morning here. I want to quickly work through this passage. And then I want to show you a, a major principle that comes out of the main point of this passage. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time, really the, the majority of our time, applying this principle to the Old Testament. Okay, so here we go, Matthew 5, 17 through 18. So the law of the prophets in verse 17, or the law in verse 18, was really a summary way of saying the whole Old Testament. The biblical authors 
would refer to the Old Testament as the Law and the Prophets, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, when considering the three divisions of the Old Testament, and sometimes even just the Law, as we see in verse 18. There, there's more on this in your guide, references and, and so forth, if you're interested in looking more about that. Now, Jesus didn't come to abolish or replace the Old Testament. Rather, Jesus was the goal or the completion of all that the Old Testament had been moving towards, had been pointing to. See, what was anticipated in the, in the many predictions, in, in the laws, to, to include the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system, what was anticipated in the offices of prophet, priest, and king, and the many events in Israel's history, like the Exodus, or the parting of the Red Sea, or the, the bread from heaven, and, and, and so on, what was anticipated in the institutions of the feasts and even the tabernacle, the list goes on. All of these things anticipated, foreshadowed, they, they pointed to Jesus. Paul, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.17 that, that these things are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the substance, he says, belongs to Christ. And in verse 18, Jesus affirms the authority of the Old Testament. It will, it will endure for all time, but with this important qualification. He says, until all is accomplished. In Jesus' fulfillment of the scriptures, their goal is being accomplished. Biblical scholar Craig Blomberg says, with the coming of Christ, many aspects of the law are brought to complete fruition. In other words, like the need for sacrifices. In other instances, certain requirements of the law endure until Christ's coming again. Loving neighbor, loving God. Jesus, and what he accomplished in his life, his death, and his resurrection, is the promised fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to. This is the main point of this Matthew passage. Jesus and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection is the promised fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to. Now, now here's the principle that I mentioned that comes out of this main point. It is this. For Christians, proper interpretation and application of any part of the Bible requires us to relate it to the person and work of Jesus. In, in other words, this side of the cross, new covenant believers in Christ if we're going to rightly understand, apply, and obey Scripture, we, we must do it through the gospel. We must do it through the gospel. All right, so what I want to do the rest of our time is practical application. I want to apply this principle to the Old Testament. My hope in the end isn't just that we simply learn how to read our Bibles better, though I, I, I trust and hope that we will. The hope in the end is as we come to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to is worship, that we would worship Jesus. That's what this is supposed to do. And so I, I pray and hope that that will be the, the end here with our study as we seek to apply this principle to the Old Testament. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through Exodus 20, 1 through 21, high level, because we've been preaching uh, verses 1 through 17 the, the last many weeks as we've been going through the Ten Commandments. So what I want to do is I want to take Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21, and, and three big snapshots. You'll see these in your guide. We're going to see this, uh, these three snapshots, and we want to apply the principle to each. So here we go. The first one is this. God's Exodus salvation for his people. 
That's, that's what's really getting communicated here in verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20. God's exodus salvation for his people. Israel's salvation out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, was ultimately brought about by the final plague, the Passover. The Passover was God's chosen, appointed means to save his people. Now, we could point many things out about the Passover. I want to draw our attention to, to three things. Oh, got these on the screen. There's more in your guide about them. Three things. The Passover was given to a specific people. The Passover was not given to the Egyptians. It was given to God's covenant people. Two, the Passover was a substitutionary salvation. A spotless year-old lamb was given for an Israelite household to die in the place of an Israelite firstborn child. Passover was a substitutionary salvation. And third, the Passover was a propitiatory salvation. Now, don't, don't shrink back from that word. This, this word is not my word. This word is picked up and used throughout the Bible. The Passover was a propitiatory salvation. Well, what do I mean by that? The sacrifice of the lamb satisfied. It propitiated God's wrath. That's what that means. The lamb satisfied. It propitiated God's wrath. The Passover, it just changed things. The Israelites' calendar would now be altered around this event. It would mark the beginning of a new year. This was a, this was a new day. A new day had dawned for the Israelites because of this great salvation. The Passover would also be commemorated in an ongoing way through the Passover festival of unleavened bread. Okay, let's, let's, let's apply this, this principle now. Look, as, as New Covenant believers, if we're to rightly understand and apply the Passover and the Exodus salvation to ourselves, we can only do so through the gospel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Passover and Exodus pointed to. If you recall on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear and they, they, they start having a conversation with Jesus. And in Luke 9.31, we, we hear this. They, they spoke of Jesus' departure. The, the original, the, 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 the literal Greek here is they spoke of Jesus' exodus. They spoke of Jesus' exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, if your mind immediately went where I, I think it did, so too did the biblical authors. The biblical authors, the Jesus' contemporary uh, Jewish people in their day, it would not speak of the exodus without thinking about the first exodus out of Egypt. You, you see, they're discussing the new and better exodus salvation that Jesus would accomplish through his death and resurrection in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul encourages believers to get rid of Sin, he calls it the old leaven in their lives. And listen to how he encourages them. Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven, the sin that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Oh, this is a rich verse with Passover and Exodus language from the bread, the lump, the leaven, and clearly the Passover lamb. While celebrating the Passover feast and looking to the cross, the, the greater Passover and Exodus salvation, Jesus institutes a new Passover feast, the Lord's Supper, when he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Friends, in the first Exodus, God delivered his people from darkness and 
and the bondage that they were experiencing in Egypt. But, but, but ultimately, that exodus pointed to the greater exodus that would come. Jesus is the great Passover lamb, and his blood propitiated and satisfied God's wrath for sins. You see, through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus accomplished the greater exodus salvation, freeing all those who would trust in him from a greater spiritual darkness and bondage to sin and Satan. Jesus Christ, with his blood, has inaugurated a new covenant for God's people. Jesus is the promised fulfillment of all that the Passover and Exodus pointed to, and he's worthy of our worship. There's more. Our second snapshot is the the commandments as a whole here. When we we preach of a the bulk of what we've preached through the last several weeks here has been on the Ten Commandments, going through a commandment uh, each, each Sunday. And so looking at the commandments as a whole here, verses 3 through 17, and in one sense I have in view all of the commandments that God gave his people. God gave the commandments, the law, even in its entirety, to his covenant people as a result of his gracious salvation. Here's what I mean. Their obedience was expected as a result of receiving God's deliverance, not as a condition for obtaining it. The commandments were given to reveal God's holy character and so that his people would be set apart from the neighboring nations. In revealing God's holy character, the law also condemned God's people as unholy. Look, the the law was never meant to produce Righteousness. It, it displayed a perfect righteousness, and as a result, it exposed unrighteousness and the inability, the inability to produce the righteousness that's required to, to be in the presence of holy God. With that, the law is, is meant to drive us to the end of ourselves and to repentance and faith in God. What's more, the law required punishment for sin. Knowing that sin would be exposed, it also gave provisions for sin in the sacrificial system. The the law served as an external reminder that people have an internal problem. Heart of stone and a mind that, as Paul says in Romans 8, 7, is set on the flesh and is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law, and in which Paul says, indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. Now, let's apply the principle. As new covenant believers in Christ Jesus, if we're to rightly understand and apply the law to ourselves, we must only do so through the gospel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the law pointed to. In Jesus fulfilling the law, he, he radically transformed it. As it pertains to the moral laws, Jesus perfectly lived them out, affirmed them in his teaching, and makes explicit that obedience is from the heart and not just simply from outward behaviors. In his fulfillment of the law, Jesus brings the civil laws to completion. Under Christ, God's people are now an assembly of churches all over the world and, and not confined into one nation. As it pertains to the ceremonial laws, which contained all of the clean laws and sacrificial system, right? I mean, one could not approach God and worship unless they 
ate certain foods and didn't eat others, wore certain clothing, didn't touch certain things, and, and so on and so forth. Jesus brings these laws to fulfillment as now through his atoning death on the cross, sinners can be cleansed from their sin and approach God right in worship. Jesus is the promised fulfillment of all the law pointed to. What's more, in Romans 3, 21 through 22, Paul tells us, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see, Jesus is the, the perfect manifestation of God's righteousness that the law pointed to. He was the perfect example of loving God and loving neighbor. He was the embodiment of righteousness. And now what's more through faith in Jesus, we are gifted his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's more, the old covenant stated in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. But, but in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, we hear about the promise of the new covenant that Jesus brings about. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. Listen to the reversal here. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach their neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. You see, because of what Jesus accomplished to fulfill the law, he brings about a new covenant where the righteous ethical demands of the law are no longer external to us, but they are now written internally in our hearts. In a very real way, they're no longer something that we, could, that we need to take in to be able to do, but they now flow out of a heart where the law is written on them, and, and they're expressed in terms in things like the fruit of the Spirit. What's more still, the spirit of Christ that now lives within our law-written hearts now empowers us to live out the righteous law. In Romans 8, 3 through 4, Paul says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, produce righteousness within us. By sending his own sin, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, God condemns sin in the flesh. In order, for this purpose, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, now listen, this, this, this law fulfilling is done by the spirit's power. You, you see the phrase, the law might be fulfilled in us. That, that action, the fulfilled in us, is communicated in the passive tense, which means when the, when the Bible communicates things in the passive tense, it means this. It is not being done by us, but to us. We are passive in that. 
It's not in our own strength. The, the next phrase, who walk according to the Spirit, makes this clear. Now, we should love the moral law. I want to live it out. But unlike the Old Testament saints, we now look to Jesus as the perfect expression of God's righteousness that the law pointed to. You see, as, as they would point to and look at the law and say, I want to live and look like that, we, we now point to Jesus and say the same. Now, I, I'm not trying to pit the law and Jesus against each other. It's just that Jesus is now the perfect expression of God's righteousness and the perfect example of what it looks like to live out the moral law. See, the moral law to include the Ten Commandments is, is still in full force for us today, but we seek to, we seek to obey it now to the gospel. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus accomplished and gifts us by faith his perfect moral righteousness and now empowers us through the Spirit's work to live in the likeness in which he lived, to righteousness, which is perfectly fulfilled in loving God and loving neighbor. Friends, Jesus Jesus is the promised fulfillment of all that the law pointed to. And he's worthy of our worship. Our last application of this principle. Our third snapshot is the Israelites request a prophetic mediator between them and God. This is verses 18 through 21. We didn't cover this uh, in, in, our, in our series in some sort of proper way, but this is part of this, uh, this, this narrative piece within the Ten Commandments. So I want us to read it together here. Um, I'll read it. You follow along. Uh, it should be on the screen. Starting verse 18, chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And Moses, and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The Israelites stood in fear and awe of being in the presence of God and hearing God, even if it was just in the, in the lightning and the thunder and the smoke. So much trepidation that they say to Moses, let's not do that again. Only you speak to us now. You be our mediator, our prophet mediator. You speak on behalf of God. That was terrifying. Later in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19, Moses sets the law before the new generation that's about to go into the promised land. Moses is about to die. Almost all the old generation is now gone. The new generation is about to go into the promised land, and, and, and Moses wants to set the law once again before them. And he says this, the Lord your God will. It's a promise. Side note, when you guys see in your Bibles that God will do something, it's a promise. 
So 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, and then Moses gives a summary of Exodus 20, 19. We just read this. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire uh, anymore lest I die. And then Moses continues, 17, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to me all that I command him. And, and whoever will not listen to my words, that, I, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. There's many prophets that followed after Moses, but God said that he would raise up for them a prophet like Moses from among their brothers. God's people want to look out for a specific prophet. We, we see this. We see this picked up in the New Testament. They're still on the lookout. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and the crowd says, are you the prophet? And he says, no. As new covenant believers, as new covenant believers, this side of the cross, if we're to rightly understand the fulfillment of God's promise to raise up for them, for us, a prophet like Moses from among their brothers to whom we are to listen and obey, we must see that this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses and the, and the office of the prophets pointed to. But Peter knew it. The apostle Peter knew it in Acts 3 Peter picks up Deuteronomy 18.5 and says this about Jesus. Acts 3, starting in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter knows that it's Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that Moses was speaking to, that God promised he is the one to whom we must listen and obey. Jesus was like Moses in many ways, but he was far better. Hebrews chapter 3, the six, uh, first six verses says this, Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You see, Moses' ministry pointed forward to the greater Moses that would come. His, his prophetic ministry was temporary, but Jesus' is eternal. Hebrews chapter 1 Verses one and two says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
Jesus is the greater prophet to whom we must listen and obey. And, and like Peter, we, we, should, we should say to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Well, let's let's uh, conclude. Let's not conclude this sermon. Let's, let's conclude this, this series here on the Ten Commandments. As we've been studying the Ten Commandments, hopefully God has given you the grace to see how much we, we, we fall short of obeying, living up to, and emulating these things. None of us perfectly loves God and loves neighbor with our whole being. But our, our failures aren't meant to, to drive us inward, to, to kind of pull up our bootstraps. They're, they're meant to drive us to the end of ourself and to drive us to repentance and faith in Jesus. Jesus. Jesus and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection is the promised fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to. Friends, listen to this. This, this is much to worship about. Jesus, Jesus is the better Adam who fully obeyed and trusted God. Jesus is the skull-crushing promise seed of the woman. He's the true promise offspring of Abraham. He's the better Isaac who climbed another hill carrying wood on his back but would not be spared but crucified himself. Jesus is the better Joseph. He too would be sold off for silver by a loved one, would be punished even though he did nothing wrong and what was meant for evil, God meant for good, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the better Passover lamb, bringing about a greater exodus salvation for his people. Jesus is the true and faithful Israelite who, unlike the Israelites of old, he trusted God in the desert and when tempted by Satan, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's more, Jesus is the true bread of life, that bread of heaven that brings life. Jesus is the embodiment of righteousness that all the law pointed to. And now by faith, he gives us his righteousness and empowers us towards righteousness. Jesus was the embodiment of the temple as he literally tabernacled, dwelt among his people. Jesus, like the bronze serpent, was lifted high. He was lifted up on his pole, but for a far more glorious salvation. Jesus is the better prophet that we listen to. The prophets spoke God's word, but Jesus is the word of God. He is our great high priest who finished his work and is sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is our king of kings who sits victorious on the forever throne of David. He is the good shepherd. He knows all his sheep and laid down his life for them. Jesus is the better Jonah. He's not reluctant to preach the good news to his enemies. No, he proclaims the gospel to all of them, invites them into eternal life. And the list goes on and on and on. Friends, friends, yes. As new covenant believers in Christ, each and every day is a day of clinging to Jesus by grace through faith as the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to. And this is good news for you and I. Jesus is our salvation. He is our everything. You and I are not the fulfillment so we can lay down our works. Jesus has accomplished it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. You are, you are so kind to your children. We give you thanks. In eternity past, you devised a plan to seek and save your people. Through your son, you sent your only son, Jesus. And, and we give you thanks, O Holy One, for coming and fulfilling all You brought about this glorious salvation that we get to 
in joy. Holy Spirit, thank you for applying the finished work of Christ to our hearts and for empowering us towards Christ-likeness. Help us to worship Jesus. As we enter into this Advent season, help us to be ever mindful and thoughtful of all that Christ fulfilled to accomplish this salvation for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.